What a wonderful cold day it is. Many coats are still on. Arms are folded. That's okay. Just stay awake. That's all I ask. Would you open up in a word of prayer with me again? I know we've already been praying. But I want to pray again because I need help. Just as you need help as we seek to wait upon the Lord and hear from Him as He communicates His word to us. So would you bow your heads with me in prayer once again as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your truth that you are communicating to us already. Communicating to us through song, through interactions together, what it is that you're doing in each of our lives. So Father, I ask that you would continue to do that, that you would continue to be active this morning, and that you would speak to us through your word, the promise that you have for us. And so Lord, we are going to Wait eagerly, expecting for you to speak to us. So would you use me, Lord, to be able to stand as your vessel of communication. We thank you and we love you and we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Well, I stepped downstairs just to use the restroom and by the time I started coming up, Aaron had already stolen my opening illustration. As you know, this last week was the Chicago Marathon. And some of you participated, as I heard as I was running upstairs. Uh, Some of you participated in this marathon, either actually running in the race or being there cheering on those who were running. Well, more than 44,000 runners prepared and finished the Chicago Marathon. And some of you joined more than 1.7 million people who were downtown to cheer on those who were running the 26.2 mile race. I saw pictures of runners. I was not there. But I saw pictures of people like Zach at the finish line, having completed this long uh, trek. After training for many weeks, I saw individuals celebrating at the finish line. And it was pretty great to see. Not just because I knew at least one of the runners, but because there was something in common between each photo. It didn't matter who you saw in the photo, but there was something common in these photos. The runner was smiling, a hint of exhaustion on their faces. There was a medal around their necks. But what is most striking is the feeling that is communicated in these photos. The feeling of reaching the end of an incredible goal. It is joy, I think. I wouldn't know since I've never done it. But I think it is joy. Joy from a job well done. Joy from reaching the end of something you've worked hard for. And joy from the knowledge that despite all of the opportunities to quit, you didn't. You kept going and reached the end. I'm going to tell you something that I need you to keep between you and I. Meredith is off camping, and so I don't want this to reach her when she returns. But seeing these photos made me actually think to myself, I think I want to run a marathon. Don't repeat this. I can't believe I even said it, but I thought about that. Wow, the idea of running a marathon is kind of appealing. And you see the photos, you see the feeling that they convey. And I say to myself, I would like to experience that one day. All I've got to do is figure out how to be able to experience it without actually running the marathon. 
work on that and see if that can take place. And yet, I'm not surprised that our passage this morning is going to use this image to convey what the Christian life is like. The life of faith is like a marathon, a long, difficult journey. It takes a commitment to persevere to the end, but it is rewarding. And when we survey the life of someone who lived with genuine faith, there is something very appealing about it. I think of Meredith's grandfather, Reverend Douglas Couch, who passed away last spring. Sitting there in his memorial service was incredibly inspiring to hear of all the people that he loved and the people he impacted and to hear of some of the hardships that he experienced because life, especially the Christian life, is full of difficult things. And yet he finished well. When we hear these kinds of stories or see pictures of those kind of people, we would like to experience that for ourselves. But the hardest part about running a race isn't desiring to run it. It's the training and running the thing. That's exactly what the life of faith is like. Most of us have desired to live good lives, or as the Bible puts it, live faithful lives before God. But wanting is altogether different than actually doing. Doing means staying at the thing through discouragement, through self-doubt, through pain and suffering. It means staying committed to allowing your identity as a person of faith shape and reshape what you do and say. I came across an article in the Chicago Sun-Times written by a fitness trainer who is writing encouraging words to marathon runners, would-be marathon runners. And it's very specific. It included very specific advice and help to finish the race. And one of the things that is written was kind of startling and yet helpful. He writes this, Be prepared for the last few miles to hurt. A lot. If I were a runner, even though that would scare me, I think I would appreciate that warning. And I think I would appreciate the specific instruction. And that's exactly what we're going to receive this morning. We're going to receive instruction for runners who are running the walk of faith, or the path of faith, rather, since we're running, not walking. We're going to receive some instruction this morning. And our passage is going to come of us, or come to us by answering a really big question. The question is, how do we remain faithful to the end? In other words, how do we run with perseverance all the way through the end of the race? If you have your Bible with me, would you please turn again to our passage this morning? In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Book of Hebrews is at the end of the New Testament. Paul's letters, Philemon, Colossians. You've reached James or 1 Peter, you've gone too far, turn back. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Follow along as I read our passage again. Cold. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such great a cloud of witnesses, let us also Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to underline the main idea of this passage. Right there in the middle of the passage, at the end of verse 1, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let me put it this way. Don't give up living a life of faith. Keep running this race with endurance until the end. might seem strange to you for me to begin in the middle of the passage, but I think our understanding is made most clear when we begin here. This is the main idea. This is the main urge or plea. The author of Hebrews is saying to us, please, you have to do one thing. You have to keep living this life of faith well to the end. So that's where we have to begin. For those of you who enjoy grammar and those of us who don't really, the reason why we begin here is because this is the main verb. Everything else in this passage is going to come to us as a supporting clause or a dependent clause. In other words, we are going to understand the motivation for doing this thing, running this race with endurance. And we're also going to be given practical advice for how we are to do this thing. How do we run this race with endurance? So that's how the passage is going to come to us. But first, we have to think about what the author of Hebrews is doing. The author of Hebrews is urging us to keep running to the end. Don't give up. But let's think about this. Don't give up what? What does the author of Hebrews have in mind? Is this a one-size-fits-all kind of encouragement? If you're feeling discouraged about life, don't give up. Things will get better. If you're feeling like your business isn't doing as well as you'd hope, don't give up. Things will work out. If you're feeling disappointed that God isn't answering your prayers, don't give up. Keep hoping for things that you desire. Now, those things might be encouraging words that some of us might want to hear. That's not really the intention of this passage not really what the author has in mind. What are we to keep doing? We are to keep living a life of faith. And that means two things. To keep living a life of faith means to keep believing that through Jesus, God rescues his people. First, by rescuing us from the hold of sin in our lives. And second, by rescuing us from death. But additionally, to keep living a life of faith means to keep living out our faith. Or to put it another way, to continue to allow our relationship with God direct how we live. The life of faith includes both things. Belief in God's saving work through Jesus and acting out our belief by obeying God's way of life. The command is urgent, but it is clear. Keep living a life of faith. And yet, while it is clear... We have to ask, why is the author asking us to do this? Why, why do we have to hear this message? Why do we have to hear this encouragement? What are we in danger of? Well, the phrase, with endurance, gives us some indication. To run with endurance is to run with consistent purpose. Someone who runs with endurance is not swayed by other activities or deterred by any obstacles in the past. Let me describe it negatively to understand what is meant positively. A runner who runs without endurance is going to be interrupted. 
He is going to be distracted by things that appear to be important, but are actually just insignificant time wasters. Instead of reaching the markers along the race, this runner is unfocused and forgets the main objective, finish the race well. Or to think of it another way, the runner who runs without endurance gives up easily. At the first cramp or the first sign of thirst or discomfort, this runner decides this whole thing isn't worth it and quits before she can reach her goal and finish the race. But we are not to be like these runners. We are to run with endurance. With persistence, we keep going one step at a time, even when it feels like each yard is hard-earned. And this was a very important thing to say to the audience that was receiving this letter for the first time. They had a lot of reasons to quit living a faithful life. They had discovered that commitment, that the commitment to live the Christian life is hard. In their particular situation, it was unpopular. Perhaps a little like what our Christian brothers and sisters experience around the world. Believing in Jesus was offensive and was dangerous. And so they lost their standing in the community. Some of them lost their businesses. Some of them lost their relationships with family members. Believing in Jesus was very hard for them. To stop believing in Jesus, to stop affirming that God rescues his people through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus would be a lot easier for these people than to keep persisting in their faith. It would make things a lot safer. It would make things a lot more comfortable. And yet we discover that the Christian life isn't one of safety and comforts, despite what many of us fear. Despite what many of us want, safety and comfort is not promised to the Christian. Another reason why they might quit living this faithful life is that it was a lot easier to disobey God. You and I know this reason quite well. Faithful Christian living requires obeying God's way of life. It means caring about the things that God cares about. It means loving others more than we love ourselves. It means rejecting sin and doing good. It isn't enough to say, I believe in God. Life in God means putting into practice what God's word tells us. I believe in God, some of us might say. That's not enough. It would be nice if I could walk up to the finish line of the Chicago Marathon and just declare, I am a runner of marathons. I don't don't think I'll get any medals as a result of that. What I say about myself has to be demonstrated in what I do. Otherwise, we might question whether or not I really believe that. So for many of the Christians who are receiving this letter, like you and I, there was a temptation to go the easy route, to believe that it was just enough to say that we believe in Jesus, but that we didn't have to do the hard stuff of obedience. So it makes sense that we would need to hear this urgent appeal. Run the race with endurance. Keep living a faithful life in God. But this main idea is supported, like I said earlier, in three ways. In order for us to to answer that big question, how do we remain faithful to the end, we are going to first hear our source of motivation. 
In order to finish the race, we will need to know what motivates our running, our faithful living. And then we are going to be given the manner or the way in which we will run this race. Our second and third supporting parts will answer for us how do we run this race with endurance. But first, the motivation. What motivates our faithful running? Our motivation to run the race with endurance comes by looking back to those who have gone before us and looking ahead to the end of the race. We have, sorry, we have joined others who teach us what we are running for. Let me say that again. We have joined others who teach us what we are running for. Look again at the first part of verse 1 as we connect it to our main idea at the end of the verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This great cloud of witnesses is that long list of individuals talked about in the previous chapter. It includes men and women like Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Rahab, and all of the people of God who, because they believed God, they ran the race with endurance. Look at the end of chapter 11, beginning at verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. They suffered. They were mistreated even, at the, even as they faced the worst kinds of persecution and hardship. They remained secure in their belief of God's promises. And they did not stop running the race. They serve as witnesses to us. They are testimonies of faith and faithfulness to us. That is why they are listed here, because they went before us and were models of faithful living. People who trusted God and acted out their trust in God in incredible ways, even when it meant dying at the hands of those who rejected God. Remind us that while the race is filled with obstacles and pain and suffering, the runner must run on. Why? Because there is a prize at the end of the race worth running for. Those witnesses are testifying. They are giving witness to the thing that they place their hope in. That is the recurring theme of chapter 11. More important than the fact that these individuals believed is what they believed for God. Rather, what they believed God for. Look at verse 10. Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose builder and designer is God. Or think of verse 16. The people desired a better country, a heavenly one prepared by God. Verse 26. Moses considered the reward of Christ better than Egyptian wealth. What was that reward that they longed for? They were waiting for the eternal city where they could dwell in the presence of the living God forever. 
They believed that God would bring about his promise to rescue his people and they would be able to dwell with him forever. And yet there is something unique about our relationship to these witnesses. Look at verse 39 at the end of chapter 11. And all these things, though commended through their faith, did not receive, and all these people rather, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. God has provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should be made perfect. These incredible, faithful witnesses are waiting for us to finish the race. Why? Because they could not see the end of the race as we have been able to. They knew there was an end. They knew that in the end God would deliver his people. But all of these witnesses lived before the coming of Christ. They did not see how God was going to do it. They did not see Jesus, the Son of God, taking on human form, dying for our sins and being raised by the power of God from the dead. They did not see these things and yet they believed that God would rescue them. But we have. Through the testimony of the Scriptures, we have seen these things. And so we see clearly what they only saw dimly. They only had the promise. But we see what the promise guarantees. These witnesses are not just examples for us. They are connected to us. The image is more than a group of fans or spectators in the stands encouraging us to finish the race. They are participants too. The race is not a single competition or a race where one person goes on ahead. It's a relay race. And these witnesses have passed on the baton to us and are waiting for us to finish this race well. They have run their part and have now passed it on to us because we are members with them of the family of God. And our past family members are eagerly waiting for us to finish this race because we have been given the privilege of seeing clearly what they could not see. But through their example and their expectation, we find our ultimate motivation. We run the race with endurance because we have seen what awaits us at the end. And it is more than a medal. It is access to the city that is to come. We have been given citizenship of the heavenly city where we will dwell forever in the presence of God. Those who came before us were faithful even in the most difficult circumstances. How much more should we, who know how God will fulfill his promise to rescue his people, how much more should we continue to stay the course and run with endurance? The motivation to run the race comes by looking back to those who have gone before us and by looking ahead to the end of the race. Now, having received our motivation, now we are given practical advice for running this race with endurance. We still have our big question before us. How do we remain faithful to the end? The next supporting parts are instructive. They provide how we will run. And the first way that we run with endurance is by removing anything that prevents us from running well. Like the athlete who takes off the breakaway pants before entering the game, we are to remove anything that will hinder our faith walk. 
clarity's sake, I'm rearranging the sentence so that the main idea comes first, but follow along with me in concluding verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us by laying aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. There are two impeding items that we must strip off of us in order to run with endurance. The first is every weight. A better way of thinking of this is anything that might weigh you down or encumber you. It's anything that restrains you from reaching the goal you have been trying to reach. As far as you would like to run, the weight is holding you back. It's like trying to swim with a backpack full of dumbbells. You can't go anywhere. So what are these weights? The author tells us that it is every restricting thing. It could be anything, really, that is keeping you from living faithfully before God. Maybe it's bad habits that keep you from the discipline you need to spend time in prayer and Bible reading. Maybe it's anxiety or self-doubt that robs you of the truth of your worth and value determined by God. Maybe it's a life filled with misaligned priorities. Maybe you consider the wrong things the most important things. You find yourself trying to do life without the strength that a rich relationship with God will provide. Whatever it is, the author of Hebrews tells us, throw it aside. Those things are keeping you from enjoying a faithful relationship with God and a faithful life before God. What might that weight be? What is holding you back? But there's a second thing that must be thrown aside, and that second thing is sin, which clings so closely. I like how other translations read. It is that thing, that sin, that so easily entangles. Sin or disobedience to God trips us up and prevents us from running the race with endurance. It would be like trying to run a marathon in a sack. You'd never finish and would only cause your body a lot of damage as you continue to fall over yourself. Sin impedes us, and it deals a great deal of damage to our souls. There's sins in your life that the Lord is asking you to throw aside. What sin is keeping you from running and dealing damage to your soul? Is it lust? Is it dishonesty? Is it a lack of love for other people? I pray now that the Holy Spirit would Speak to every one of us to help us to identify what that weight is, what that sin is that is keeping us from faithful life in God. Because if we don't lay it aside, not only will we not be able to finish the race, but we will also do great damage to ourselves. We are hurting ourselves by disobeying God. Well, time is short, so let me go to the second way we run with endurance. And this might be the most important way. The author of Hebrews tells us that the way that we run with endurance is by looking to Jesus. Now, some of you might say, oh, I've heard this before. This is so common. It sounds so uh, 
sounds like it's just Christian language, but this is incredibly important for us. The author of Hebrews is telling us that the way that we run with endurance is by focusing our eyes on the person of Jesus. It is in looking at who Jesus is and what Jesus has done that we will receive the guidance, the strength, the energy, the know-how to be able to run this race with endurance. Look at this verse here at the end of our passage. Again, let me rephrase the way this is stated. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us by looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Notice the two titles that are given to Jesus. The founder of our faith. Some of you might read the author of our faith. Founder is better because what is intended here is that Jesus is the forerunner. He is the one who went before all of us. He is the one who lived the faithful life in God so that when you ask yourself, what does it look like to live faithfully before God? All we have to say is look at the example of Jesus' life. Look at the one who said, Your will, not my will, be done. Look at the one who spent time with those who were marginalized. Look at the one who gave his very life for our souls. He is the forerunner. He is the most excellent example of what it looks like to be faithful in God. But that forerunning doesn't just provide for us an example. It also provides the means by which you and I can enter into the race. It's as if the, the pathway were full of, of, of encumbrances. It was, it was not a runnable path, but Jesus, by his power, when he entered into humanity, when he entered into time, made clear a way for us so that you and I can actually become members of the household of God, so that you and I can actually run this race. He is the founder Not only is he the most excellent example, but he is the one through whom we actually get into the race. For it says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He gave his very life for us. But notice how he serves as our example. He himself kept the end in mind for the joy that was set before him. He knew what would await the end. He knew what was going to happen after he gave his life for us. He knew that we would be reconciled to God. He knew that we would become co-heirs with him. He knew that we would be able to enter into his city so that through his blood, we would be able to glorify God forever. But not only this, but Jesus serves an example to us in the way that he considers shame. It says he despised the shame. What this means is that Jesus did not care for the opinion of others. It was shameful for God to die on a cross. It was shameful for Jesus, the Son of God, to spend time with people who were outcasts, who were undeserving. These things were shameful. These things were not popular. But Jesus had no interest in what would please the masses. He is our example. Our call in living faithfully 
is to do what God commands of us. It doesn't matter what other people will think. It doesn't matter that it might seem strange. It doesn't matter that it might, gain, it might not gain us privilege or prestige with others. He is our example. He is our model. What it looks like to be faithful in God. He looks ahead. And as, in that way, he is the perfecter of our faith. That's an important title or description of what Jesus is doing. To be the perfecter of our faith isn't intending to say that he did it perfectly. That already is covered under the title founder of our faith. What is meant here is that he is the one who brings it to completion. That for which we were waiting for, that for which those who came before us were waiting for, that they should be made perfect, now we have it in Jesus. Jesus is the one who brings to completion all the things that we were waiting for. Jesus is the assurance that we too will be raised from the dead. That is what the resurrection is. It is a sign, not only that Jesus was victorious over death, but that you and I will also be victorious. When the passage ends by saying, he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, it's saying that the work has been accomplished. Ours, to us, belongs entrance into the heavenly city of God. To us belongs the name, children, sons, and daughters of God. To us belongs the honor of serving God in everything that we say and do. Thanks be to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. You want to know how to walk faithfully? You want to know how to run the race with endurance? Look at Jesus. Not only was he faithful, but he suffered. But he suffered for the sake of the people of God. And as he was being raised from the dead, you and I know that God's promises are sure. We can remain faithful. We can continue to trust God to fulfill his promises. We can see Jesus' example and say, yes, I will follow him. We will fail. We will stumble. We will have hardships. But look to Jesus, our perfect high priest, who faced temptation and did not fall, who offered one sacrifice once and for all, and gives us everything that we need. Let's praise him. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our Savior and our King. We ask that you would help us to walk faithfully in you as we seek to trust you and to live lives of faithful obedience. We love you and we thank you and we pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.